0: Luke begins the story by making this outrageous claim that God is at work in the most unlikely people, bringing hope, changing the world in the most unlikely places. Babies and barren women and unwed teenage mothers and wild-eyed prophets and itinerant preachers and executed criminals And in the words of Professor David Lowe's, God isn't done yet. God continues to work through very unlikely people today. Unpopular teens, and out of work adults, and corporate executives, and stay at home parents, and underpaid secretaries, and night shift workers, and police officers, and volunteer baseball coaches, waiters, teachers, and even burned out preachers to announce the news of God's redemption on earth. It's a promise that's easy to miss, but when we hear it, and even more when we see it taking place in our own lives, it gives us hope, and hope can change the world. I looked up stories of hope online, specifically, What Gives Me Hope was the title. A child writes, when mom, or a teenager writes, when mom and I were in line to check out, there was a poor woman who had a little boy with her. The little boy wanted to buy a water bottle. His mother told him she couldn't afford it. My mom, who had been poor when she was younger, bought the water bottle and gave it to the woman and told her, things will get better. Seeing my mom's compassion for others gives me hope. A 13-year-old writes, On a cruise that we went on, I saw a boy around age 11 or 12. He had lost his hair to chemotherapy and was on the cruise because of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He was getting an airbrush tattoo of the word Jesus I'm sorry, on the side of his bald head. Jesus, on the side of his head. And he was laughing and smiling the whole time. His ability to enjoy every moment of life gives me hope. Another. My little sister has diabetes, and people make fun of her in school. But one day, instead of making fun, one boy in her class came up to her and said, Emma, it's all right to have diabetes, you're kind and beautiful. And Emma came home with tears of happiness in her eyes. That little boy gives me hope. I was looking at a site and saw a story about a cat named Sable who goes across the street twice a day and watches the kids safely cross in front of the school. Now he's an honorary crossing guard, this kitty cat named Sable. That story made me smile. Someone wrote, I hadn't smiled, really smiled, not something that wasn't a fake smile in months. That story made me hope. This year in school, another writes, there was a boy with Down syndrome. The boy's name is Noah. I saw him walking in the hall one day. I asked him if he has a best friend, and he said, no. And I asked him if he wanted to go to prom with me, and he asked me, what is prom? And I got really upset, and I told him about prom, and he was so happy, and he told everyone. People with Down syndrome give me hope. Another writes, kids in school were bullying me and my girlfriend for being lesbians. My teacher said to them, what, are Are you mad because you don't have a beautiful love like theirs? Two days later, she bought us both t-shirts that said, I, she's mine. My teacher gives me hope. Years ago, while waitressing, a biker couple came into the restaurant where I worked a woman writes. They ate, and as they were leaving, they told me that they wanted to pay the bill for a little old lady who was eating alone because of a message inside of a Jones bottle cap. When the lady found out what they'd done, she cried and told me that it just happened to be her birthday. God's at work. That couple gave me hope. I found a story in Guidepost Magazine online. A man writes, part of my job as a hospital chaplain, a position I've served in for 14 years, is to help calm the anxieties of the patients I minister to. I understand the fear that comes with facing a medical trauma. As a teenager, I survived a brain tumor. I saw how God worked through the love of others. As a chaplain, I got to pay that love forward. But COVID felt different. It was hard to be hopeful, hard to know if I was helping. Until I turned my focus to the people around me, looking outward instead of inward, I began noticing acts of compassion. And the more I looked, the more I found a a practice I continue to this day, he says. Compassion is everywhere, and it's as contagious as any virus. One of the first times this struck me, he said, was early in the pandemic during a code blue. I saw Deb, a pharmacist, nine months pregnant, literally running from our COVID unit to the ICU and back again, just at top sprint. He said, even in the urgency of the moment, Deb's selflessness seemed remarkable. Everyone would have understood if she hadn't done this, yet it was a lesson that would stay with me throughout the hard months to follow. Compassion demands courage. It takes great courage not to run away from those in in such desperate need or to put yourself at risk for the good of others. Later, I asked Deb about it. I said, if, and she said, if you're not willing to run for someone who is dying, when will you ever do it? We have husbands and wives and mothers and daughters dying of COVID in the hospital. If I run fast enough, maybe I can save at least one of them. After our con- conversation, the that- every person there marches an angel proclaiming behold the image of God. During the code I beheld the image of God and it was lovely and that moment stayed with me. It gave me hope. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip was the ruler of the regions of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. By the time Luke's community read those words, none of those seven people were still alive. Not one of them, those big shots. And yet we are still telling the story of John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth, two men who stepped out of obscurity and gave us hope. Professor David Lose writes, at times we might feel overlooked, insignificant, small, surrounded by insurmountable problems, people, and challenges. Maybe it's not an emperor that makes life miserable for us. Maybe it's just a difficult colleague or an unhappy marriage. Maybe it's not a Roman procurator who oppresses, but instead a struggle with addictions to alcohol or drugs or porn or shopping or eating or anything else. Maybe it's not governors that threaten to destroy us, but instead feeling lost at school or at work with no real friends. Maybe it's not rulers and priests that overwhelm, but instead a struggle with depression, grief, loneliness, anxiety. Whatever it may be, Luke shares the gospel promise that these things, too, will pass. That in the end, they will be but a difficult and distant memory. That over time, they will become mere footnotes in history to a larger grander more beautiful story of acceptance and grace and mercy and compassion and life for the Lord our God opens the doors that we thought were closed the Lord reclaims those that we thought were lost God is already transforming those things that we thought were beyond help and God has promised us resurrection life in places where all we can see is death. And so John proclaims, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of